everybody. You can get a bit closer, of course. We don't bite, we don't smell. He well. doesn't smell, uh, so do come closer by all means. We would love to have you a little bit closer so we can see the whites of your eyes. Hello there, everybody. How is everyone enjoying ICE 2017? You okay? Yep. You enjoyed it? It's very cool. It's very cool. I get it out of the way now. It's a very nice venue as well, and we're really enjoying it, and uh, we're having a great time here in Birmingham. Especially the person that's joining us for our conversation now, considering this is his first time in Birmingham, and I did indeed in Europe, generally. Yes, this is, this is my first time out of the out out of North the, America. Is there a reason in terms of, do you not just like us or something, or? Well, no, no, <laughs> no I'm, uh, I'm terrified of flying. That would do it. Yes, so uh, getting me to go anywhere in a plane takes a lot, but uh, honestly, when, when the opportunity arose to come over here, we, we do stuff on my website, we sell books, so I'm, I'm, and I try to be very active in social media. And everyone in the UK has been so good to us, you see? And so kind, like, it's not just a stereotype that you guys are awesome. Like, that means if we're really lucky, we'll have the man back again. So there we go. Right, quick introduction, my name's Leonard Sultana, I run a website called An Englishman in San Diego. Um, it's about San Diego Comic Con and con culture. Um, and I get the chance to speak to some incredible people, um, especially artists and writers from comics, but it's an actual, genuine honour uh, to speak to this guy, John Tyler Christopher, everybody, the round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. No worries. Um, the reason why uh, I'm really excited to talk to you is because um, not only am I a massive fan of your artwork, as I'm sure everybody in the room is, uh, but also to find out more about you, because there does seem to be this thing online when it comes to your... I mean, you say that you're active on social media. There is this kind of almost this feeling that you did a couple of D&D um, &D covers and then, boom, you were next thing you know we're doing Marvel covers. And it clearly wasn't that. There was a lot of hard work and uh, effort to get to where you are at this point in your career. And I'd like to basically cover not only what you're doing now, but also go back a bit and talk to, about um, how you did get into your... I mean, let's go sort of like back a bit in terms of your art history. I mean, was it art or was it comics that really kind of got you picking up the pencil? Well, I mean, so even as a child, yeah. the only thing I ever wanted to do when I grew up was draw. Um, I didn't... I never wanted to be like an actor. I never wanted to sing or play sports. I wanted to draw. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, to the point where, like, I was making books uh, from... I mean, I, I don't remember a world without Star Wars. Like, Star Wars was a major influence on me, as, even as a child. Uh, in fact, it, Return of the Jedi is the first movie I remember seeing in the theater with my dad. Uh, but all I would do is draw. And it's all I ever really wanted to do. And as I, as I grew up, um, you know, I started to discover other comic books. I'm a, I'm a child in the 90s, yeah. so... Um, yeah, what books were you looking at? Well, one of the first things that really got me into comics, honestly, was... Uh, I was like in sixth grade, and it was when Death of Superman came out. And a friend of mine was like, oh, you should check out, like, they're, they're killing Superman. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I, I just have a passing interest. But I think that was, that story especially, like, really kind of hit me of like, there's more to this. And I mean, yeah, I, it's sad that like- It's not just capes, it's not just funny books. There's some real- Yeah, there's weight to it. Yeah. And, and as, I, as I started to get into that, you know, again, as a child of the 90s, like X-Men number one, there will never be a book that impacted me probably as much as that. But then as I started to like learn more about comics and as I was getting older, um, artistically, comics kind of help turn how I view art. Um, 
when I was in high school, all I wanted to do was be Jim Lee. That's, I mean, you can see in like the art from like the old 90s uh, action figure packaging that I've done, like that's what I used to want to draw like that. Uh, Jim Lee, and then it kind of evolved into like, I really fell in love with Ian Churchill's run on cable. Um, and I just thought that was like the pinnacle of awesomeness. You just mentioned one of my favorite artists, so I'm now grinning from his oh, Ian's the, he's amazing. Um, but I had this really weird moment of like, well, I can see like an influence of Ian's from Jim, but then like, so who does Jim Lee want to be? And then I discovered Art Adams, and it's like, wow, like there's so much of Art's work in Jim's that you like, you can see that inspiration. Yeah, well then who did Art Adams want to be? And I started like going back and it became this weird thing where my art teachers who were always telling me like, study the masters. Well, that's the other question I was gonna ask because um, when I've, it's not the overriding uh, thing that I've discovered, but it's a, there's a large majority of the comic book artists that weren't encouraged um, by uh, uh, by their uh, art teachers. Uh, it's they, you know, you, there's no money in it. They just do traditional illustration. You know, do what were you encouraged at school to do comics or where, what was? In general, no. Um, I come from a very small town, and uh, my parents were always very supportive of me. But pretty much outside of my immediate family, I was met with a lot of, like, you're not going to be able to do this. Like, that's not a feasible dream. Yeah. Um, you should try playing football. or that, that's, that's, that's doable. Art is not. Um, but no, I, I had a lot of key people in my life, though. I had a uh, Marvel ran an article um, where they wanted me just to talk about these new trading cards that I'm working on, these trading card covers. And I looked at it as an opportunity because I had a history with the original Marvel Masterpiece line and my eighth grade science teacher who was a gentleman who saw my passion and saw what I was able to do, even as cheesy as it was in eighth grade, and say, he actually commissioned me to do a Psylocke trading card uh, of the Marvel Masters, like redraw it. And it had a huge influence in me because it really was one of those moments where I'm being told by everyone that I'm around that like, it's cute that you do this, but don't, you know, don't get hooked yeah. on this. And here was somebody like, no, you can totally do this. I will give you money to do it. And uh, that had a huge influence on me. And it kind of stuck in the back of my head. And even as I, as I kind of grew up, I, I, I have to give credit. How, how old were you at this point? I mean, this was eighth grade. Okay. So I was maybe 12, 13. All oh, right, okay. Um, and then from there, uh, I, I kind of started to meet um, I, most of my other teachers, again, not really that much, but my, my high school art teacher, uh, lady by the name of Nancy Geyer at the time was her name. Uh, she influenced me tremendously. She is somebody who saw what I was doing and she actually worked with the administration to get me out of other classes to take art, more art classes. Wow. And she just kind of said, you draw. As long as you draw, you have to write a contract at the beginning of the, the semester. As long as you adhere to that contract and you know fulfill your deadlines, we're good. And those were two people that, uh, you know, Bill Douglas being the science teacher and then Nancy um, in high school, had a massive influence on me. And it really meant a lot to me again to say, you can do this, this is something we believe in you. Um, that even, you know, after I graduated high school, I was, I was getting kind of beat down and I did the whole traditional college thing, right? Uh, I went to Purdue University, I studied theoretical math and philosophy and, <sighs> I just kind of did it. Like it wasn't, yeah. I wasn't passionate about it. And honestly, with about a, about a semester to go, I literally just dropped out of college. Cause I'm like, this is not like, I don't. Did you have 
something in terms of art to actually fall into at that point? Where, where was your art at at that point when you did drop out? My art was me doodling at home. Wow. Um, this was around also actually the time that I met my wife. And uh, in fact, we kind of met because of me art and I was like, hey, you look like this character maybe that I want to draw. Maybe you should come over and model for me sometime. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and you fell for this. Congratulations. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, but no, so like, it, it, I really wasn't doing much, but uh, my, my wife had a friend who went to the Art Institute of Seattle, okay. uh, a gentleman by the name of Mike Moon, and he was really adamant. Like, he was another one of those people that like, he came over and he saw my stuff, and he's like, you really should be doing something with this. Like, you're, you, you have an ability to go somewhere, and, and that meant a lot, so. When was the first time that you actually started believing in yourself in terms of your art because like you say there's that there's that moment when you sort of go you know what they may have a point what was do you know when that was or when that first piece when you just went you know what that works i'm still kind of waiting for that oh really no wow. I, I guess again like coming from my background i am i'm still in awe at all of this i am still I get giddy when Marvel contacts me and they're like, we want you to draw so-and-so. Like, it's a very surreal experience for me. And I'm so grateful for the opportunities. I'm, I'm kind of constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop or to kind of wake up and be like, wow, you're like, this isn't really what I'm doing. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's just such a weird experience for me. Like, like I said, I mean, I guess when you get your entire life told, like, you're not gonna do it, to be able to now do it. Um, yeah, but, but anyways. Um, sorry, we skipped a little bit there, okay. So, um, you, um, you had the job, or you were introduced to a, a job from, by a friend of yours. Yeah, to, well, to, go to, to go to the Art Institute, yeah. and I, uh, I studied 3D animation. Oh, okay. um, and I did that for a semester and absolutely hated it. So, I basically started becoming like the concept artist at the school, like I would help other, I would like design stuff here and there, like, like that was, became more my focus, that wasn't really part of the curriculum, but like that's more, I think they, they kind of encouraged me to do that. Actually, I'm surprised that the, the 3D um, animation didn't quite, because I mean certainly the way that you draw, uh, certainly physiques, and uh, I mean it, the, the thing that strikes me always in your art is that it's not kind of bombastic um, uh, Bodybuilding, it's not uh, no, like the the superhero bottle, uh, okay. sorry, the, the completely unreachable physique. It's almost realistic physiques. And I thought the, the, the 3D um, animation section of actually building physique in your artwork, which is very naturalistic. Well, thank you very much. Uh, no, I. Sorry, uh, just to let you know, we are going to blow smoke up his ass for, a good, <laughs> for, the, for the duration of this conversation. No, I mean, my brain doesn't work in 3D. If that makes sense, okay. like I, I know how to lie to make something look 3D, but the people that are like the sculptors, like I, they have nothing but my respect because they literally they perform magic to me. Like it's not, I can look at something and say, okay, this is how you would make it a two-dimensional in a drawing, but the idea of actually formulating that in a three-dimensional space, like it just doesn't work. Like I remember, I just I would always like, I would always I noodle a lot. Yeah. And I would, so I would push this one little point in the z-axis and then I'd be like, well now it's messed up in the x-axis and now I'd have to turn it and I would kill myself mm -hmm. going into it. But, uh, but no, so I was doing that, I, I was doing a lot of the art. Um, I remember I actually worked with a professor there that he let me kind of assist teach, assist uh, in teaching the class and I learned a lot from 
working with students in the figure drawing and stuff like that. And then, again, there's something like, I was never exposed to figure drawing before yeah. I went out there. And that was such a huge experience um, to be able to work with like a model and, and really study the form. Because when I was going kind of that reverse thing and, and discovering the Rembrandts yeah. and the, um, you know, the, the master painters and, and things like that, you're, you're emulating a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Yeah. And now when you're actually working with like life model, and like that's when I really got into like, I'm gonna go sit on the corner in a coffee shop and draw people. And like, you really learn so much about how the world works, like mm -hmm. how like phys physicality works. So that became a thing. And so I was doing that and um, I graduated from there and I got an associate's degree. And I was just doing for like freelance and I started working with a company called Luster and I was doing advertisements and you know, work with Ford and those kind of places doing yeah, I, I think that's where people are curious about certainly the background to actually the, the road to because you you have a background in in advertising don't you? yes and that's where this all kind of stems from but I've always kind of had a, a mind of my philosophy was always like look at what the trends are and do the exact opposite so like when I graduated from school um, it was everyone was put in these like little rooms and like there was like five people in a room and you set your little table up and it was, it was kind of like a mini con right yeah. well I was like well wait I'm here at a, at a school that teaches all these different disciplines. There's going to be empty rooms. Can I have one of the rooms? And if I get one of the rooms, can I get one of the music students to DJ it for me in my room? Can I get the culinary students to cater it? And they're like, well, that would give them exposure too, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. And we, so I literally threw a party for my graduation. Like Everyone else was standing there with their tables. And I was kind of starting to get some resistance from that. Like some of the other students were like, well, this isn't very fair. Well, the, pa <laughs> the power blew in their rooms, not mine. Yeah. And I was like, well, why don't you guys all come in here and we can all share this. And then everyone was able to get the exposure. Like, it's not about, I wasn't trying to like one up people, but I really wanted to just like, do something that separates yourself mm -hmm. from the rest of the pack. I mean, everyone always, I think, follows a certain line and follows what's going on. But I always want to try and be somebody different. And advertising really helped kind of reinforce that, enable me to focus it in an intelligent manner, in a more yeah. like focused, like, all right, this is how you can stand yourself out. Because as what if I do right now, I'm a cover artist. And I don't feel that it's fair to other comic book artists to consider myself a comic book artist because they have a, a skill set that I do not possess. I, their ability to tell a story with art. I, I was going to, I'm going to lead on to that because oh. I want to talk about some, so like the difference between the cover art and sequential art in terms yes. of uh, if that's something that would ever uh, appeal or if it's something you've ever done. But let's, let's talk about then, so you're, the, you're doing advertising, were you still drawing comic characters at this point? Yes, but so not. Like for your own, for your own? Yeah, but not as much. Okay. Uh, I, was, I was so busy at the time with, I mean, I was painting ice cream cones and uh, right. you know, cars and things like that. That, that was kind of my main focus. But there was always whenever I could, I would do that. So I was, I was in Seattle um, working 80 to 100 hours a week, you know, because I was like starting out, I wasn't making much money off of it at all. Um, I worked with the forestry department out there drawing trees and leaves. Like that was like where I was getting my, my painting and trying to build my chops up. Um, and then I was just doing stuff on the side. Like I, this was when uh, Return of the King had come out or some one of the Lord of the Rings movies. So I was like really- It's pretty recent then. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, some cave trolls and stuff like that. Uh, but again, we were kind of we were kind of struggling out there uh, financially. And oddly enough, the gentleman that brought us out to Seattle had got a job in Atlanta, Georgia, in the states at the Home Depot in the corporate office, and they're advertising. Okay. So 
I don't know if you guys have the Home Depots out here, but it's a. It's like being cute. Uh, okay. okay. Well, they have these little flyers. Well, I was the guy that helped make those flyers for the Home Depot. Like, I got a job there and we moved out to Atlanta. Um, and so I was just like, you know, basically doing graphic design. But again, all this time, like, I think so many young artists, they, they think of like, it's a, it's a step in the wrong direction to be doing graphic design and advertising. And I'm always encouraging that because at the end of the day, this, this is all a business. Mm -hmm. I mean, my art, I'm trying to sell and to learn how to communicate visually, to learn how to understand demographics, how to read sheets, how to understand where the market's going and how to play into it. Or key components. And also in terms of the advertising background as well, being, being able to know exactly how to grab someone's attention yes. instantly from that front page, which is absolutely your skill set on, Thank uh, you. on display uh, on the colors. Thank you. Um, but yeah, no, so I was, I was in Atlanta at the Home Depot. Uh, I met a gentleman by the name of Tariq Hassan who worked at the Home Depot as well, but he was also part of the studio of artists. And he's like, well, we, I think it would be awesome. You should come. We're looking for a new member to help pay the rent, you know, I think they were probably just looking at me more like, here's a guy to help us cut down on what we're paying a month. Um, so he brought me over, uh, and in the studio was George Gianti. Uh, he did Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, Gambit, just uh, American Way, phenomenal penciler, which is weird, because I was a fan of his, as a, you know, over the years. Uh, Dexter Vines, the anchor on Civil War, Hulk, he's done like, just one of the finest anchors in the, in the business. Um, Tom Feaster was there. Uh, there was all these like, like there was some really cool artists. Jason Pearson eventually joined, which I mean, I'm a huge fan of body bags. And Jason is honestly one of the, probably the most raw talents I've ever seen. Um, so anyways, I was, I was in the studio. I started joining with them. And they're like, hey, would you like to, we're going to these cons. You should tag along with us. So it starts out and I'm basically- So you've not been to a con at this point. You not professional, oh, right. not, not on that side. Oh, right. Okay. Yes, I, I'd done a couple shows like back when I lived in Indiana. So I didn't know if you'd done the, the whole portfolio review thing. And the, no. no, you really were just going as a fan. Yeah, I was just oh, going wow, as, okay. just to nerd out, man. And so I would start going to these shows. Then you know, the, Georges and the guys were kind enough to basically be like, "Here's a quarter of a table. You can set up a couple things." And so I would go, and I had just some some art that I had just done in the past. And as I was at the show, I started looking around, and I was like, okay, this is the advertiser in me, this is the, the, the business guy, uh, the marketing in me, and I was like, okay, here's what everyone's doing. And at this time, now this was, this was a while back ago, so this was probably, this was like early 2000s, like mid-2000s, um, but the big, at least here, now people were selling prints, but a lot of times what most people were doing, they were selling one single, they bring one print to a show, sell a limited, a limited number at a, higher, at a high price point, or they were doing sketches. And I'm like, I can't compete with these guys. I can't compete with these industry names and generate money. But one of the things I also started noticing was like, uh, it was, I was going to uh, HeroesCon down in Charlotte, and they would do it on Father's Day weekend. So on Father's Day weekend, the fathers would bring their wives or their, their girlfriends and their kids. And I'm like, no one's selling them. The, every single person here is going, the dads are getting the big price point, yeah. but maybe the wife might want something or the father wants to get the kids something or something to that effect. So after doing that for a year and kind of seeing that, I would do, go to Dragon Con again. I was just like tagging along. I was like, I want to start selling to them. I'm going to start making art for the girlfriends, start making art for the children. And because if the dad's going to spend 60 to $100 on a sketch, I'm not going to try and sell a $30, yeah. $40 print. I'm going to sell 
$10 prints, but I'm also gonna bring 10 different prints to sell and be able to like cater to a variety of people. Um, so as I started doing that, like I was starting to really like, things started turning around and I remember we went out to Emerald City uh, Comic Con and I was out there with the studio and now at this point I was starting to get to a point where I was like, the guys were getting me a table. Like I, yeah. I, we would get one of those end caps and I was like getting like an actual table. And one of the other nice things about what I was doing was if everyone is buying, if, if you buy a 10, if I've got a $10 price uh, print at this time when no one else was doing that, everyone's buying my thing, if nothing else, because they got $10 to burn. Well, now they're walking around with a billboard of my stuff at the show. And what had happened was enough people walked by Top Cow. Because um, at the time, and I should say this, um, during this time, I did get, uh, I was approached to do work for White Wolf Publishing. Um, so I did some uh, like vampire and a game called Scion. These are like tabletop role-playing games. Uh, and there was then, after that came out, I was approached by Wizards of the Coast to do work for Dungeons and Dragons. Um, honestly, one of the first things I did for them were Star Wars miniatures. That was probably one of the first things I saw of yours, yeah. Yeah, so I did some Star Wars miniatures, so that's how I got my, Lu my Lucasfilm approval, like licensing. Um, so yeah, so I, I was doing all that. So again, I, I kind of had built a little bit larger portfolio. And as, when I was in Seattle, people were walking around with my prints and Philip Soblik, who was the editor at Top Cow, I guess eventually it was like, he stopped some people and was like, okay, everyone, I see everyone walking around with this, this art. I don't, who is this? Like, what is this stuff? And they're like, oh, it's this guy, he's over there. He's selling me the prints for like 10 bucks. You should go pick them up, they're great. And so he came over to me and he's like, hey, what are you doing? And I explained what I was doing in the business model of what I was trying, after I found out who he was, yeah. like he's an editor. Um, so I'm like, well, I'm trying to do this because you know, I'm trying to capitalize on this market. But and he's like, I've never heard anyone ex like, think that way. Would you like to draw a Witchblade? And I'm like, why yes, I would love to draw a Witchblade. I so mean, you actually, you're one of the, the rare people in comics and comic art where they came to you rather than you actually actively seeking work in the industry. Yes, yeah, yeah I, I've never, I've never applied for a job oh, wow. in art. Um, so I, it, Phil, Phil asked me to do a Witchblade cover. Um, he asked me to do a... Was it very much in the style that you currently... Because um, you do have a, a distinctive uh, style. Well, I mean, the, 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 the pencil art and the, yes. sort of the, the, the lines. It was an amalgamation of that. Very I, I decided that at a, at a very early stage that if I was going to work in comics, I wanted to look like a comic book artist. Right. I don't want to be a painter who paints comics. I want to be a painter who paints comic book art. Like, because I mean, I think that's it's a fine line. Like that hints the. the you look confused. <laughs> you look confused then for a second. Well, okay, I can't out 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 Alex Ross. Alex Ross. Yeah. Like he is a fine painter. Like, and I mean like fine art painter. Yeah. Um, not fine painter. That's on. Wow, I love Alex Ross. So I don't want that to come off wrong. Um, I can't compete with that, but I can try and do what I do, but tweak what I do to make it a comic book style. Sure. So one of the prints I was selling at the time was an Art Nouveau um, Poison Ivy. Uh, I think it's in there somewhere, but it may so be. When Top Cow asked me to do the Witchblade cover, uh, I think it was 147. Um, it, was war, it was in the War of the Witchblades. So. Again, with my advertising background, I sent them 30 thumbnails. 
and each one of them had a paragraph description of exactly what I was doing, why I was doing it, who I think this would appeal to, why we should do it this way, if they were looking at doing it this, wow. then we could tweak it this way. And Top Cow was so impressed. They're like, okay, well, let's go with this Art Nouveau one. This is kind of what we were looking at. It's what we liked of your stuff. Um, so it was all about, like, at the time, it was when Danny and Sarah were wheelers of the Witchblade. So it was all about duality, but yet, like, har harmony. Like, that, this was when the Witchblade was being revealed to be, like, a child of the Angelus and um, the darkness. So I wanted to, like, kind of play into that. So, I mean, it, I, literally, it was ridiculous. It was all about, I tried to infuse H.R. Giger with Alphonse Mucha because they're conflicting styles, but yet I try to harmonize them together by making repeating patterns. I explained all this. this, this it thing. sounds very much like uh, I'm certain everyone in the room is aware of the work of Drew Struzan, a uh, poster artist. It sounds right because uh, I've seen documentary work with him, and he's very much a case of although I am, I'm an artist and I enjoy what I do, at the end of the day, it's a job, and I'm here to supply a product to my client. And he does the, a similar thing with the, the thumbnails. So I'm guessing it's, it is a case of giving them enough options which they can then yes. call from. Yeah, yeah well, because one of my, my mentor out in uh, out at the Art Institute, Jill Mendo, Bruce Sharp, always instilled in me, that is not my picture. That is somebody, that's Marvel's picture. Yeah. They just hired my hand to draw it. So I don't have any ownership of this. Like, that's not, it's not, and that's, that's the way you should look at it. Because at the end of the day, if Marvel wants Poe Dameron to have a... Well, who, let's, let's talk about your, I mean, I say the three... Fire alarm, fire alarm, which is shush you. Good grief! It's heating up here in ice. <laughs> I'm so glad you were smart enough to come up with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the three styles that I think uh, most people know you for at the moment are the uh, negative space uh, covers, the uh, Marvel Star Wars covers, and also the Marvel. Um, action figure covers. Mm -hmm. um, who came to who with those ideas? Uh, the negative space is all me. Yeah. Um, I was a big fan of Coles Phillips. Okay. Uh, who was an illustrator back in like early 1900s. Uh, he did all these like beautiful women in like the dresses and the corsets and stuff like that. But it was all negative space, and I, I took influence from that. Uh, the Star Wars stuff. Um, this <laughs> is kind of a funny story. So, at the time, I was doing a ton of covers. I was. And a normal cover, I'm, my strengths are in, I think, like capturing character, but not in dynamic posing, not in um, what would most people consider a normal comic book cover. So I was killing myself. I was trying, I mean, battling 80 to 100 hour work weeks, uh, seven days a week, basically to get done with a cover, if not maybe two covers, if I was lucky a week. Um, my wife and my mom actually had an intervention with me and they're like, you've <laughs> got to cut back on, like you can't do this anymore. Okay. Um, and they were right, like I was, I was failing miserably as a husband and as a father and I, it really was like weighing on me. And just the way the world works, of course, two days later, M Marvel calls me and they're like, hey, we got this new IP we're gonna be able to start working on, sign the NDA and I'll tell you, it's Star Wars. And we've got something we think you'd be perfect for. Right. Um, and it's something I talked to them about, just the desire. My, one of my dream gigs was always to do the uh, official uh, handbook to the Marvel Universe, right. which always just had the character standing there, and then the side shot yeah. and the back shot. Um, and I'd expressed an interest that like, if you guys ever bring this back, like this is what I want to do. 
And then when they knew I was a huge Star Wars fan too, so they actually approached me and said, we would like for you to do, like after our conversations, you should do these Star Wars action figures. When did the light bulb come on when you suddenly realized that with all, like, all you have to do is look on Wikipedia and realize how many characters we're talking about and then you just realize how many covers that could be and then you turn to the missus and go, pick a college because we can fund any school. Have you seen how many covers I could do here? This is just, a, did you think of it as this kind of massive revenue stream? All of these covered titles are, are there if you, if well, you grabbed it. it. It was weird because like, so because we just had this conversation, I had to wait until my wife went to sleep to do the first four covers because I didn't want to let her know I took any more work because I promised her I wouldn't. So I actually did the first four action figure covers in secret because I thought she might force me on like, yeah, she might leave me over it. Um, but no, after, after that, like, I remember I went to do a signing in New Hampshire and it was for the Star Wars, the launch party, and it was yeah. with the Jackson. Um, and at the time, like, that was the big one. Like, everyone was like really kind of goo goo gaga over the Jackson cover I did in the party variant. And I was just like, wow, like, I think we've really tapped into something. Like, like Star Wars is different. Like, there's just no getting around it. I, I, you know, you can say what you will about everything else, but like, there's, there's something that I think Star Wars touches a nerve for a lot of people that's like very, like, it's very nostalgic, especially yeah. for people of our age. Um, but then as we started, like, the, fi the action figures started getting, and one of the things I, I noticed was that, um, after doing the whole con thing, other people were starting to handle the same kind of business model of cons with selling yeah. the prints and stuff like that. And I, so I, I basically almost stopped doing cons, but I'd had this idea in the back of my head for the longest time of like, man, I do all these exclusive variants for other stores. I wonder if I could do an exclusive variant for my own store. And I think that that was almost kind of this like watershed moment of see, starting, starting to see the success of the Star Wars ones. Um, and then saying, hey, at the time, Marvel was only intending to do the first 10 figures. Oh, right, okay. Um, and they'd actually offered, they're like, okay, and this is a little bit further on, but like they, they were like, we've done the 10, like we can stop now. Like here's the here's new covers for you to do. And I'm like, I would love to keep doing these. And they're like, are you sure? Like, cause we don't want to burn you out. And I'm like, dude, this is like, this is special to me. Like. I knew it was special to me before I knew it was special to other people. That's why I, like, I love going to these cons, because again, not going to cons, I don't get feedback from people. Uh, at the time, I wasn't really much on social media. And we, so I was just doing it because I enjoyed doing them, like, which is always, I think, I think any artist would say is like the best kind of art, right? Sure. You should do art that you like, and then hope that other people enjoy, enjoy what you do as well. So the big one for me was when we did, uh, so, I like the Star Wars stuff. I knew that people were digging them just from people emailing me and, and Marvel being like, hey, like people seem to be grooving on this. Yeah. So that was when, again, I, I had this idea because I didn't go to cons anymore, but for the longest time I was like, I'd like to do my own exclusives. I was like, I think Boba Fett would be a perfect character. Let's see what Marvel says. So I approached them and I said, hey, I'd like to do uh, a store. I would like to buy a store exclusive for my store. And they're like, do you have a store? And I'm like, no. Um, and they're like, well, you're the first artist to ever ask to do a store exclusive for themselves. So what I did was I had to like literally start a comic book store and I had to get a business license and I had to go through all this stuff of like, 
But, well, in their defense, though, like there was no set. Like now, they have all these things yeah. for artists to do their own exclusives and, it, and online SD stores and that yes. kind of thing. But at the time, there was nothing like that. So all of the SOP they had was designed specifically for just a normal retailer. Yeah. So I had to go through all that, which is fine. You know, I was like, dude, the opportunity to do this is is cool. I want to do it. And I think when we did Boba Fett, uh, I remember we we were sitting around and we were like, okay, if we can sell c 2 e 2 was like two weeks after we decided we were gonna sell Boba Fett. And we were like, if if we could sell like 500 of these by c 2 e 2 like that would be awesome. Like that would help us, like I, I think that would be our, we would, we would break even at that point. Um, or, I forget what the number was, but y yes, cool. So we put, we didn't, I launched a website with that, like, because I had to get my store and everything. So we, we didn't announce it to anybody. We were going to announce the big, we had plans to make that, have this big grand opening at C2E2 and announce every, to everybody what we were doing. So at midnight, we launched my site with Boba Fett in the storefront. At 12.03, my phone goes ding, and it was a sound I'd never heard. It was PayPal saying somebody bought it. I was okay. like, okay. And then it starts, because I had pulled all nighter that night to get work done. And then it starts going ding, 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 ding. Which point turns into a Geiger counter in the end. Yeah, so I mean, I, again, I was literally expecting to like wake up my wife and be like, dude, we sold four comics last night, this is awesome. I woke up and I was like, we sold 3,000 comics last night. Um, to the point where within 36 hours, we actually had to pull the book off the site because I promised C2E2 I would sell the book at their show. And, and you had no We had well. I thank goodness. Um, we we worked ahead to get five thousand was the number we eventually were able to settle on with it, so I could bring them to C two E two and have some to sell. Uh, and that caused the whole kerfluffle also. But uh, so I was like, wow, this is crazy. And like, I mean, to the point where we sold. My point was twenty dollar twenty dollar price point. That to me is, is is a lot of money for a comic. The book was selling on eBay at the time. I think for sixty. It's kind of fluctuated from there and gone up. And I remember Marvel called me. Someone at Marvel called me and they're like, your book is going for like 60 to $70 on eBay. You should probably jack the price up. And I'm like, no, that's not cool. That's like, not it's 20 bucks. Like, if people can make money on it, God bless. Like, that's how it should be. Um, so we ended up doing that. And then the next time around was, uh, so I, I was like, hey, Marvel, I would love to do it. <laughs> like the next day. Yeah. I'd really like to continue to make lots of money. Um, so we, like the very next day, yeah. and I was on the phone and I was like, okay, what's it gonna cost me to get all the bounty hunters? That's not gonna happen, John. <laughs> okay, how about Blue Snaggletooth? That's not gonna happen, John. Hmm. So basically it was, it came to me that they decided, there, there was like some craziness behind this, so like a little behind the scenes story was, I believe somebody new at Lucasfilm had come in with the whole Disney acquisition and Marvel and working with it, the person, and one of the first mandates was, we don't want to oversaturate Boba Fett. So literally, had I not signed the contract, if I had waited one week to sign that contract, I would not have been able to do Boba Fett because they didn't want to oversaturate the market, which you can understand, obviously. So it was like, it was a blessing that I was able to do that. But the problem was after that, like I think there was some hesitation in wanting to allow me to do more of them. So there, was, there became a, uh, an element of negotiation that I had to do. And it was very much like, at the time, they were, after doing Boba Fett, they were like, Honestly, we'd really prefer if you don't just do dial, just dial it back. Yeah, which again, I didn't want to do another one immediately. I, I was from the get-go. I'm all about long-term sustainable business models, not quick cash grabs. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the saddest things I've seen that I think a lot of people, other people, 
that have done exclusives is they saw that mine were selling for 60 to 70 dollars so they would buy an exclusive and they put it on their store for 60 70 dollars well that's great they would sell out but then the value would just drop on the yeah. secondary market and because it dropped in the secondary market people lost faith and then like that started hurting more and more people yeah. with mine I always kept it at 20. So we did a black and white Boba Fett. Basically, they agreed that I could do a black and white Boba Fett after the, the full color one. And I put it online, and I was like, and we announced it this time. We announced like two weeks in advance, hey, we're doing this black and white Boba Fett. Come to my store at midnight. You know, we're assuming midnight, it'll give like the night to be able to sell. Hopefully, you know, it's black and white. We don't think we're gonna sell, so we went over 3,000. Um, I ended up selling out in 13 minutes on it. And, it re but thank goodness because I'm my to me like the customer comes first and so one of the policies we implemented was anybody if you bought the the, the full color Boba Fett mm -hmm. you can come to my site like four hours before the sale and I will guarantee you can buy one copy of the book guarantee I will guarantee you one copy of the book moving forward um, and when we sell it out in 13 minutes obviously there was a lot of people who were upset about it but we were able to facilitate the people that helped invest in me and support me from the, the full color Boba Fett. Um, and then that was became a moment of, this is like, there's something to this whole yeah. Star Wars thing. Well, I think it's uh, everyone who reads the Star Wars books and just generally has followed Star Wars for the last two, three years, they know that there's this kind of, <laughs> this teat that they can just keep squeezing on and there's this, this sorry for the young ones in the audience, sorry about that. Um, but yeah, there's this definite touchstone that people can retur return to when it comes to Star Wars. Something I don't think we've really uh, touched on, and uh, I think we'll just dial back a little bit, uh, in terms of your actual your working process, because I don't think um, we've touched on that. I presume you're digital? Uh, I color digitally. You color digitally. I, if it were up to me and I had the time, I would pencil and ink everything on Bristol. Wow, okay. Um, which I do as much as I can. Uh, working two to three covers a week does not allot me a lot. There's a lot of stuff I have to do digitally now, more, more than I would like to. Um, you know, obviously, like... So, you, you, two, three covers, yeah, is, uh, how long does it take you to do, say, for example, one of the Star Wars covers? A Star Wars cover takes me about 40 hours to do. So, I, do, I have to turn them around in about two days. Um, Keep practicing, kids. Jeez. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, the beauty of the Star Wars ones, though, is like, you know... I've never made the Star Wars logo. I did that digitally, sure. and I've been reusing it ever since. Um, for my originals, that's a problem, you know, like, because I've had people that are interested in buying the originals, but I don't want to sell just a picture of Luke yeah. and then the side illustrator. Like, I want it to be a full, finished piece. So, I mean, like, you can see, like, that's what my originals look like. So I don't actually ink everything. I actually leave a lot in pencil, and I use grade eight pencil values. So I use an a, a 2H, or 3H, and an HB to value out what the, the pencils would look like. So I'm doing this, I, I do as much as I can with that, but like I said, unfortunately, my, my schedule requires a lot of digital work. I mean, what is your schedule in terms of, I mean, I, I can imagine you're slammed. Uh, who is, who's, is it Marvel and Hasbro, your main yes. people? Yeah, um, Marvel is, I've not had a day off of Marvel in 10 years. Like, honestly, this is the longest I've ever who came, not worked. Who, who came, well, you, you say that you didn't approach. How did Marvel get in contact with you? Well, okay, so back to the Witchblade thing, right? Yeah. So um, I, I sent Witchblade this War and Peace novella of ideas for the thumbnails, and Witchblade, the, the people at Top Cow thought it was so fascinating, they worked out an interview with Comic Book Resources. 
and it was called How to Create a Witchblade Cover. And it was basically me going step by step, explaining all the thumbnails, and then why I was doing everything on the cover as I was building up for that, witch, that first Witchblade cover. So as I've been told, as the story goes, um, an editor by the name of George Ballard uh, at Marvel was asked to go look at a new Top Cow artist. And in that book, he was flipping through and on the last page saw my witch, a preview of my Witchblade cover. He went online to see if he could find out who it was. He pulled up the how, he found the how to build a Witchblade cover and he read it and he's like, this is like, again, I think it was one of those things where it was like, this guy, he understands that this yeah. is a business. This is, he's, he's trying to say something with this. And so he contacted me and he said, hey, would you like to do Iron Man? And I was like, why, yes, sir, I would love to do Iron Man. <laughs> Um, and that was the Iron Man Army Vo piece okay. that I did. And that was the first cover I ever did for Marvel. And like I said, I have not had a day off for Marvel in almost 10 years. Was that first piece almost like a test drive for them? Or did they oh, kind of know? No, I'm sure it was. And yeah. you know, looking back at it, thank God they saw something more in it than what I gave them because they really dug it and they were happy with it. So yeah, from there I did, uh, the next cover I did was that New Mutants cover you've been showing on the screen um, the, for the Heroic Age. And like I said, just, it never really stopped. Like I, I, I always tried to approach it as that. And uh, back to our thing about the sequential art, like I respect the sequential artists so much, I don't want to consider myself a comic book artist because that's a disservice to them. Is I'm it, an is it something that you've ever been interested in going into? Oh yeah, yeah, I, I, did, I did a couple two-page spreads for Top Cow, like in the back of the Witchblade books. Um, but it almost killed me. Um, I did a six-pager to introduce their new universe when they were kind of relaunched after with the artifacts and stuff like that. And um, it, it was... Brutal. Was there anyone that you turned to for advice to do the sequential pieces? Or was it a case of, tell you what, I'm just going to dive in and just do it? I kind of unfortunately had to dive in. I mean, I, I'd, I'd pick people's brains like Georges and Dexter and Jason Pearson and stuff when I was down in Atlanta on how, to, how they went about stuff. and. I tried to soak up as much information, but this is, I didn't do any of the sequentials until I moved up to Indiana, which again, I'm now back in. We decided after we had our children, we wanted to move back to our hometown. A little quieter, slower pace of life, it was awesome. Um, but I was in a, I mean, I was in, no one was around to tell me about how to do art uh, or have field comic So I mean, I could call them, but you, I lost a lot of that just synergy that occurs when you work in a studio. There's a reason why artists, I think, work together in, in large studios, and it's because you can learn so much that way. Cool. Um, I just want to check on the time, because- 22. 22. I do want to go and get some questions from you guys as well, if there's anything that you do want to ask uh, John about the business, about his style, about uh, the way he goes to create. So we do uh, have yourself to think about any questions you want to ask. Um, I want to talk about, certainly in the terms of the, uh, the cover, art and variant covers market because at the end of the day there's a lot of guys out there that are now doing the variant covers mm -hmm. and while we don't have the 1990s business model of you know sort of like people buying covers for a five and next thing you know selling them for 70 80 that doesn't have that kind of resale value as much as i'd really like <laughs> it to uh, um what is it in terms of make, in making that kind of standout and how 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 packed is the uh, the the market for the very variant artists? Because you have your Scotty Youngs, you have yourselves, yeah, and the, the Alex Rosses of the world. I mean, how how packed is it, and how is it to? I mean, I, to make yourself stand out in that regard. Well, I, I think I think finding a way to make yourself stand out is important. Um, you know, I, again, having 
having an angle is really important, right? Like before, my angle was just like, I was, I would like to believe I was the guy that, whenever Marvel calls me, they will call me at two o'clock in the afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon and be like, dude, we need a cover by tomorrow morning. I'm the guy, I became that guy. And sometimes it's not fun, but I, I worked, I earned that, that right to be that guy because I was the guy when they needed something, they could call me. And, and I was honored to be that guy because... Do they come with you to you with the general idea of a cover? Because that, I can imagine just having the, uh, to create something off the bat at that kind of rate, you, to, to have that in your back catalog to create something. At, at first, yes. They, yeah. they would kind of come to me with, with general ideas. But I think as I started, as I kept doing it and kept doing it and, you know, trying to show them, like, here's my ideas. Like, this is why I think this one would be successful. Um, you know, I, I was able to start earning some trust, yeah. which, is, which is the big thing. And, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where the more you do it, the more faith they start getting in you. And also I think there's, there's an element of proving yourself to the fans because there is so much competition, there is so much out there that you wanna have the opportunity to let them know that it's like, I'm not gonna waste your time on this. You know, like, um, because it, it is, and our industry is, it, it's, it's got such a passionate fan base. And as somebody who's a fan first, always, I, I understand that, you know? and. I think over the years trying to develop that, like what's the hook, you know, and the negative space thing being like, okay, let's try this and see where it goes, but also not wanting to, you know, like the Art Nouveau thing. When my first cover for Witchblade was Art Nouveau, my first cover for Marvel was Art Nouveau, and then being like, I don't want to get pigeonholed in, like I don't want to be the Art Nouveau, like yeah. there's enough other artists that are the Art Nouveau guys. I don't want to just be that, like, I don't want to be part of that a crowd of people. Um, and that's when the action figure thing kind of came along, it was like, it had been done. Like that's another thing. Like I don't want anyone to ever think like I invented that. Uh, yeah. The first one I ever saw was a Scud variant, um, but it was something that no one in the market had done for a while, and I thought was an opportunity, especially with Star because it works for Star Wars. That's the other thing. Like I think so often people try and force things to work mm -hmm. instead of allowing like what's natural. Like Star Wars action figures are like that's a thing. Yes, yeah. that's, that's that's a natural. And in Marvel's relationship with action figures is very natural. Um, you know, the idea of when we were talking about, talking about doing the cards, the trading cards, that feels natural. Because again, like I have a history with the Marvel Masterpiece series. So like it works, it makes sense for me. It doesn't feel like we're just trying to shove something out there to sell. Because I think people can smell that. And, and that's just always been something really important to me that I, I believe, I, I stand by pretty much everything I've ever done. Like, I, I, I believe what I'm doing, I, I can, you know, you've got your people, I'm sure, that will be sure. like, ah, action figures again, but I can argue why I think it's, why I enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the style which I think you are most famous for is this kind of uh, very shaded with the black lines, the, the very Drew Struzan kind of uh, styling. Do you like um, exploring different art styles and... and well... So, okay, like, advice for young artists. Yeah, sure. Um, time. Like, when I started out, I was very ex experimental with what I was willing to do and what I was able to do. Um, because nothing's more infuriating to, like, don't ever say to an editor, oh, that's not my, if the editor's like, hey, you should work on your hands or make the hands bigger, and say, well, that's not my style. 
Because, dude, you don't have a style. No one cares about your style. Like, that's not a thing. You have to earn the right to have a style. Sure. And after a while, like, that was something I really worked hard at, was being experimental, hearing what people like about my, you know, when I would go back, when I was going to cons all the time, yeah. okay, this is working. This print is selling. Why is this print selling? What am I doing different? Okay, well, let me try this, see how this works. Oh, this one didn't work as well. And getting that feedback to develop what I felt was a voice for myself. Because again, I used to be a Jim Lee clone. I used to be, you know, and, and there's certain influences you have, but you do have to start finding your own voice. And as you find your own voice and you do actually get that style, now I think it's important to have that style because that's what people are asking for. That's what Marvel is wanting to sell. Like if I decided to do an action figure, a Star Wars figure, and chose not to put a black line around the figure, People are gonna be like, that's not one of those, you know. It's it becomes very apparent. Like that's sure. there's, uh, they have to be all related. Yeah, and that's part of what it is. Um, do we have any questions from our crowd in terms of anything that anyone wants to talk to John about? Any advice that you'd like to get from him at all? Anyone wants to stick their hand up? Front of the center, sir. Take away. I I've got all of your stories. Thank you very much. <laughs> everyone is like a lot of people miss it. Do you know, as Marvel said, whether they're planning to release or what they want you to do, one for every single figure that they released at the original can of age? Well, that is that their plan. So you've obviously done wave one of the series of figures, yeah. And now you're in wave two, so you're going to back. We're also starting to hit into the um, the original characters as well from uh, the the new uh, comics uh, characters as well. Yeah. Well, I think there's. Uh, <laughs> I have told them I am down forever. Like, dude, if we want to get into the droids figures and then go into like, I'm I'm down. I like I, said, I love this. I, I truly do. Um, I think that's just a question of do people still want them or people still going to you know? It, for for Marvel, it, rightfully so, it's a business, you know. And as long as people support it, I think we'll keep moving. Um, I think we've done a lot of really good things as far as expanding outside of those original figures. Um, the Anakin one. For example, like the, initially, um, we want there was discussion of should we put Anakin on the um, Phantom Menace packaging, the red packaging, and even draw the little like voice decoder thing that they have with it. Um, we decided, basically as a compromise, to put the Phantom Menace logo instead of Star Wars. However, we realized like that's when I did uh, the Kylo. No, it was Poe. I put a Force Awakens logo up there, but that wasn't official, can't, like an official logo because I had to put it inside the Star Wars thing and blah, blah, blah. So Lucas was like, Lucasfilm was like, just put a Star Wars logo there. And that's when we basically came to the conclusion that I don't do action figure, Star Wars action figure covers. I do homages to the Star Wars action figures. And therefore we have the freedom to keep that like classic packaging and as we're expanding into the new characters, keep that like everything together. But I mean, I, I think that there is opportunities to start to do the other ones, you know. And anytime I get a chance to do exclusives for my store now, um, I do always strive to do a character that we wouldn't see maybe in the normal line. How can I work in um, somebody? Because there are certain rules and regulations. Like I can't just do. I've always wanted to do a Sokotano. But there hasn't been a book that is a lot really had Ahsoka or would be, they could argue Ahsoka should be in. Um, 
So as things develop, you know, we'll see if that kind of How often or... do Lucasfilm step in? Every time. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no, no in, in, in a good way. But I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's their IP, man. Like, sure. the, it's their, they have to approve everything. And I gotta tell you, man, like, they've been so good. I, I've, working in advertising, I guess I was, I became so afraid of client feedback. And everyone at Marvel, Disney, and Lucasfilm, are so cool with their life feedback. They're very specific. They're very like, and at the end of the day, it always makes it a better piece. Like, um, one of the hardest hurdles I faced on the Star Wars stuff is that Lucasfilm owns the likeness rights to all the actors. So it's not drawing with Marvel. You draw Captain America. If it looks too much like, I've drawn, yeah, I've drawn one that looked a little bit like, I guess, Chris Evans. I didn't use him as reference or anything, but they're like, you can't do that because we have to change his face. And it's kind of like, you know, my argument was like, well, actually, Chris Evans looks like Captain America, not the other way around. Um, but anyways, the, the point was that with Lucasfilm, it was such a weird thing to be like, no, 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 like, that needs to be Harrison Ford, Han Solo. And that was really cool, like, because I feel, with those characters is one thing, but with a lot of the secondary characters, I've really enjoyed trying to, like, pay tribute to these actors, like, that are on the con scene. They're like, that's not just some jerk face. That's that is really the guy that played Elder Spinoza from Bespin Security Guard. You know, well, that was actually going to be one of my questions as well when it comes to the um, the other alternative, the newer characters, which obviously don't have any actors as reference. Uh, when I spoke to John Casty about the uh, Star Wars, his drawing, his run on Star Wars, he said uh, I turned around and said, "So where do you re where do you reference, or do you?" have a body of reference in detail and I said, thank goodness, there's actually quite a few photographs of Harrison Ford out there. So I actually have quite a bit of reference to come to. Yes. But when you have the newer characters, uh, where, do you, where do you go to? In terms um, of it's a little bit more hodgepodge. Yeah. Like, it's not really, like, I'll, I'll have friends that I'm like, because like, I don't, obviously they don't have licensing rights with this film that they have a likeness to, so I can't just straight up draw my friends. But, I use them as like kind of a basis, and then I just kind of manipulate it to tweak it to make it. We had a question. Oh, but, um, I was going to say from Ollie, but Ollie seems to have vanished. Um, yes, so would you like to? That has been a question a lot of people have been asking. Um, I would love to do a Phasma cover. That's something I've got to talk to Marvel about. Um, well, I've got the new book out. I thought actually there would be one on the shelves. Well, I, I was not aware it was coming out so soon. I, I was kind of waiting for that and to hear if they were going to ask me to do a grand Admiral Thrawn for the new Thrawn series, too. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Thank goodness it's not a one-shot. It is a four-issue miniseries. Um, I'm not sure when issue four is going to be going to press, so maybe I need to be in, in touch with them here across the pond. You could do a variant or something. Yeah, well, <laughs> I can actually feel your other half going, we're on holiday, dude. <laughs> <laughs> can we please just have... Um, no, I, well, so here's the, the conundrum I'm facing with that, for example, is um, I have made a vow to my customers, I will only release four exclusives at $20 a piece. Like, I think that's fair. I don't want to overdo it. I think that is, if I look at the secondary market, that seems to be a fair price point. That seems to be a fair amount, but I also don't want to ever feel, have people feel that I'm trying to take advantage of them. So the idea with the Phasma is, if Marvel is not interested, and if I'm able to secure it as an exclusive, what do I do with it? Do I hold off on it till next year? 
I, I don't know. Like, and that's something I, I don't really want to like speculate on because like there's so many variables. But if there's a demand for a Phasma, at the end of the day, I want you guys to get what you want. I'm not. I'd like to think I'm not a greedy dude. So it's like, how how can we work it out, man? Like, you know, that's kind of the thing. And it seems like if I look on my social media, Phasma is hands up. Who would like a Phasma cover? Yeah. No, there, there we go. That's cool. Should have taken a picture and sent it off to. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> sent it in and just let them know. So what is? I mean, I think. Um, do we have any more questions? Because we are into the final stretch now before we start wrapping things up. Um, yeah, we'll go for a final couple of questions. Yes. For bringing it back to your old side and when you were with Top Cow with Dave, what would you say was your absolute favourite one that you worked with? Actually, several. That first Witchblade cover, I think, might be the best piece I've ever done. Like, honestly, um, it's just, it really said what I wanted it to say. Um, I was able to, like, I mean, I went all out on that cover. And even by today's standards, like, I look back at that cover very fondly. Um, one of the other fun things with Witchblade is all the covers I did that were front and back covers, I was able to hide. I think I mentioned this to you earlier. I hid secret messages in them. Um, so, like, if you, uh, you know what, screw it. It's old. No one's going to know. Um, the, the idea was, again, the marketing side of me, I talked to Top Cow, and I was like, we should hide secrets. She's a detective now. We should hide secret messages that if they type in the code on the website, they can download concept art that I've done or sketches and stuff like that as a way to like, engage with fans. The one that no one has discovered yet, and again, I don't think they ever will. So here's, here's the big surprise. There's one where Sarah is kissing a gentleman, and he's got these weird, like, vine things starting to grow out of his back that are, like, attack, that are about to attack her as they're embracing. Every thorn on the vine is a one. Every leaf is a zero. And if you count, if you go with the binary code of what each vine is a word, if you count the uh, alphanumeric value of that, it spells L-O-V-E, love, and that was the code that if you typed in, you got the code. Special thing. So there you go. And now you can go and search that one out for yourself. Now it's ruined. Oh, man. Excellent stuff. Uh, I think we just got time for one more question, then we're going to have to uh, move on. Yes, sir? Another Star Wars cover. Did you ever do one for the... Oh, it's Princess Leia's slide girl. Have you done Slave Girl? <laughs> no. And would you like to? It's not a question of what I would like. It's a question <laughs> of... No, uh... You know, honestly, like, even before, I would say, like, it was probably not going to happen, especially after Carrie Fisher's passing. I feel that she didn't respect, she didn't like that, and I think it would be disrespectful to even ever try to do that one. I, I joked before that if they ever fired me, that would be, like, my, like, salvo of, like, ah, take that, you're Slave Leia. But, uh... It's <laughs> the lamest, like, vengeance plot ever. <laughs> Let's see Danny Boyle make a movie of that one. Um, no, so, like, uh... Yeah, no, honestly, like out of respect for Carrie Fisher, I, I don't think that will ever be done. That's a, a very respectful answer. I think that's fantastic. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, I think it's safe to say we will continue buying the Star Wars covers and indeed all of the work that he brings out because he really does bring a fantastic voice to the variants uh, on the shelves and it's a pleasure to talk to you. Ladies and gentlemen, please make some noise. John Tyler Christopher.